the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Welcome to episode one, the Worldview Media Podcast. <laughs> I'm Gordon Runyon. Uh, to the left of your radio is Joyce Runyon. <laughs> to the right on your radio is our daughter, Jordan. Hello. Say hello. Hello. And we're here today to uh, analyze uh, Jordan's favorite show. That's not my favorite <laughs> <laughs> It's not. It really isn't. I don't know why that. Well, she likes it a whole lot, let's just say. We're we're going to analyze the Star Trek movie from 2009 starring Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto. Quinto. And uh, so we're going to seek to analyze this movie in... uh, and uh, we will use biblical principles as a guideline for our analysis. But first, let me just ask you about general impressions. Jordan, we know it's not your absolute favorite, but <laughs> what do you think about this movie overall? And whether it succeeds or fails or whatever? Uh, well, I think it's pretty good for, you know, because it, it was weird when it came out because J.J. Abrams was sort of revamping the franchise, you know, with this whole weird time warp thing where it's right. sort of this other universe now. And, yeah, yeah. But I think that it's been accepted really well by most fans, and, and it's, they're pretty good movies, you know, they keep making more and stuff, so. And you thought the movie was good or bad? I liked it. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a, it's a different spin from the characters that we, we know, yeah. and even though... Um, like with Kirk and Spock and the, the doctor. Bones. Yeah. Bones. <laughs> they still have some of their personalities there, but it's definitely a different setting and a different situation. And yet they're still kind of all together getting to know each other and building relationships because of what they're doing. So yeah. uh, there's some things that remain consistent in the storyline and then some things that have been really radically altered. Right, right. Well, to my mind, I thought there were some things about the movie that were really excellent. I'm not sure they would have been if I hadn't been such a original Star Trek fan way back in the day, you know. Uh, yeah. If I didn't know Kirk, Spock, and McCoy yeah. and something of their relationship, uh, certainly a movie like that has a lot of background to build on and doesn't have to do a lot in order to make the characters seem familiar. But there were some things that I thought were really excellent. I thought the casting mm-hmm. was yeah. great. Yeah. And uh, and some of that is credit to the actors. Yeah. because of, Yeah, I thought the big three especially, I thought they'd obviously all gone back and rewatched the old shows and yeah. they all had mannerisms down and especially I I thought McCoy was portrayed brilliantly yeah. you know I thought he was great and uh, yeah. 
And there were times when Chris Pine had William Shatner's mannerisms, and he didn't do them. He didn't do them in an over-the-top way. He was pretty subtle most of the time. But there were times like when he'd walk onto the bridge, and uh, and and I was thinking, well, that's Captain Kirk. You know, that's how Captain Kirk walks. And, and uh, uh, so I thought that was really brilliant. I thought the special effects were oh, yeah. really great, and. Uh, I thought the just the action adventure content of the whole thing was really good, and it had little bits of humor that you expect from original Star Trek, yeah. and, and so all of that I thought was really good. But if we can shift a little bit to talking about the plot of this movie specifically, I have to say, I had, I hated the whole time travel thing. <laughs> maybe it's me maybe it's me in my old age but I've really come to really not like time travel stories very much uh, and this one in particular I thought was poorly done because it was never to my knowledge it was never explained how this Romulan miner you know he wasn't a, a what he wasn't like a, a space general or anything like that yeah, you know yeah he was a commercial miner, from what I understand. How is he taking his gigantic ship through time? That was never explained. Well, was it? Or? Well, wasn't it? It was, in, it was that uh, singularity. Yeah, that because Spock went to go save Romulus, and he had that. Right, right. He's got the red matter that yeah, can it, create a black hole. So the black hole wormholed and turned into like a, a transport. Yeah, it it. it created a wormhole and so they went through the wormhole was that, that. explained Did that's we... yeah that's what spock said was, yeah he didn't like go into the science because he was talking to jim he's right, like right we got sucked in and we came here and i mean that's the implied thing yeah that i get well and that even in the transfer of them coming over to this other universe there was a even if it was a little bit of a time delay in what really happened but it worked out being a longer time yeah yeah once they were here. Well, I just maybe I missed it, but I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, uh, you know, if you can go back in time, why not just go back to a more convenient time? Why not go back just far enough to help Spock save the day? You know, instead of going all the way back to when Spock was what just out of college, basically, or whatever. You yeah. know. Well, and the thing with the original series is we really don't know the origin of all that. We don't know yeah. how they met at the academy. We don't know if if all of that was the same right. <clears throat> in this universe as it had been in the previous universe because I think even with Spock you see some some kind of subtle differences with him and and how he deals with being um, both yeah. a Vulcan and a human yeah. that we didn't really see that previously in the other series. Yeah, I, He was very much more cold and clinical and yeah. Uh, there's a bit of a rebellious streak in him, it seems, in this yeah. new series. Yeah, I could see that. And I think the thing that struck me is that, uh, oh, it had struck me. And, oh, and here it is. This is a, <laughs> it struck you again. <laughs> it, it, it was a double strike. <laughs> <laughs> it knocked me loopy for a moment. The thing, the thing, that, uh, the thing that struck me was just as a storyteller, it's a long time in that movie before we sense any kind of real danger to any of the main characters. 
you know, there's a lot of origin story stuff going on. And uh, I just think in terms of storytelling, uh, it's really hard to get away with that most of the time. I think probably what allowed it to work this time is just that these are such iconic characters and we are getting to see glimpses into their younger lives that we never saw before and and so there's some of that that's really fascinating and but well, i don't it's still different because yeah in the other universe kirk had his father that's right and his so, father hadn't died and so there are definitely some things that are different here right that of course result in a different outcome on, on the characters yeah yeah i think that's true and, and uh and you don't know with things like the butterfly effect you know the fact of Captain Kirk's father being killed by this Romulan guy on the day of his birth, does that not just affect Kirk, but it affects, like, the whole Federation, and there are minor well, ways Well, surely it, it does, because if, in the other universe, his dad would have been alive all this other time, kept yeah. flying missions and doing all this other right. things, and so... And so does that affect the Vulcans as well? Everything that he well? would have been doing, yeah. now he isn't doing, Right. And, yeah. Well, I think the question is, undoubtedly, uh, Captain Kirk's destiny, his the way he lived his life has been changed, but has Spock's? And mm -hmm. I, think he, I think the answer has to be yes. We may not know the extent, but yeah. just because they're all in the same melting pot, so to speak. Right, you know? yeah. <clears throat> Anything else about the plot get you? Did, did everything make sense? What about... Uh, what about character motivations? I felt like uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and really the rest of the Enterprise crew, I felt like I didn't have any issue with believing that they would do the things yeah. that they did or, or why. Sure. <clears throat> and then there's this villain, Nero. What about him? What's your thought on whether or not he was believable and his motivations or, or whatever? Well. I think if you start with the assumption that before anything happened to him, he was already an unstable kind of guy, <laughs> then it's easier to see him doing the things that he does. But, like, really the thing for me has always been that, like, okay, so he winds up way back far in time, but, like, he's back far enough that he could just wait all these years and like warn somebody yeah and they can like plan ahead and get rid of the that's right. star that's going to destroy the planet and stuff and like sure that doesn't change his own past but like the him that will be born in this timeline will be fine and he'll get to live right. with his wife and all this stuff but i don't know yeah and then you run into this is part of why i don't like time travel stories you run into the issue that <clears throat> you have old spock and and new spock both alive at the same time and now, at the end of the movie, after everything's over, old Spock is still who he is because of all the life events that have shaped him up until that point, and all the memories that he has of those events. And now none of those events exist, and and uh, and yet here he still is standing here as a person who was shaped by that. But the guy who is going to shape him has got a completely different life so far than what or we can look ahead and see his life is going to be totally different, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so I thought, for me, that bugs me a little bit. That you've got Spock here and Spock here, and one of them is going to grow into the other one of them, but by the time he gets there, he's going to be totally different from the guy that's standing there now. Right. So I just, 
I'm, I'm not a big time travel fan. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> any other thoughts on the plot? Were there plot holes that you thought of or anything uh, that doesn't work for you? Just the big thing that occurred to me, the big convenient thing, is that Kirk and Old Spock just happen to both be left on this same planet. Yeah. And that planet just happens to be the one where Scotty is with <laughs> right. his transporter technology and stuff. <laughs> right. That's my big, like, well, <laughs> That's okay. actually really huge. Yeah. Out of all the planets yeah. that, it, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess if that's the closest planet to where Vulcan was, maybe... Uh, yeah, but like... it's still huge, though, because they're both... All three of them are in walking distance of yeah, each other yeah. on this planet. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I... I was thinking about that too. That's a gigantic coincidence, but you don't have but much of a story. But there was a research station there that maybe Spock would have known that from where he was from. I mean, and he just beams him close to there. Well, he didn't even beam him. He sent him down in like a little shuttle thing. <laughs> well, so did he autopilot the shuttle to bring him within like a hundred yards of the research center? Like, <laughs> well, I see what you're saying. And then like, and then Spock is also there, and Nero wouldn't have cared where on the planet he sends him. I guess he had to be on the right side so he could see Vulcan, but that's still a whole hemisphere. <laughs> yeah. But it's all in the vicinity is what I think it is. Uh, because it's all there, then maybe it's a little bit more feasible. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> you're being very generous with me. But Spock's not going to save Kirk if he's not in the vicinity. Another thing is, why don't they just beam Spock right into that Vulcan temple? Like, is it some kind of, like, etiquette thing where you can't beam him into the Vulcan temple? <laughs> he has to spend a bunch of time running it, in there. And, like, yeah. or is there, like, technology in there that prevents people from beaming in? Or, and they like, have to come out before yeah, they can beam. Yeah, so yeah. what's the deal with that? That's never explained. That well too. Yeah. That's another thing. That would have saved a few more people if they could have just yeah. beamed them. If they could get a little more right. direct beaming. Right, right. Okay, uh, let's see. <clears throat> Any other plot holes or anything like that? Oh. Plot twists that surprised you? I don't think I had a surprising plot twist. Yeah. Okay, now we now let's move into the region of talking about the biblical covenant. In the Bible's covenant structure, the first point is called transcendence. And in this part of the biblical covenant, we focus on the fact that God is the creator, he's the redeemer, he's the uh, revealer of truth, mm -hmm. he's the ultimate lawgiver, he's the one who initiates his covenant with men. And so the question we want to ask is, in this movie, what is the, who's really transcendent here? Or is there any transcendence? And the thing that we might some of the questions we might ask to get there is does is anybody does anybody experience some form of redemption or can you discern what the ultimate system of law is in this movie what's the highest law in this movie any ideas uh, well i was thinking about it trying to figure like what for the characters makes something wrong or something right. And right. it seems to me, thinking about the story, that the biggest deal is just 
if it's going to hurt people or if it's going to protect people, and that's how they sort of judge, like, well, this is something we need to do, or this is something we can't okay. do, or he's yeah, a terrible yeah. thing for having done this, and, <laughs> right, right. you know, that seems to be the biggest, like, little point that I could find thinking yeah. about it, that this is sort of determining how the characters are thinking about, like, what's good and what's bad. It's like what the effect that action is going to have on, like, other people. Okay, so it's a very pragmatic, then. Yeah. pragmatic source of law based on what the intended results are going to be. Yeah. Okay. And what's perceived is going to be either helpful or hurtful. I was thinking maybe the Federation is the high source of law. It should be. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I think in, in a lot of old Star Trek stuff, of course, you have the Prime Directive and you have all this, right. this is what we're going out, this is what we're doing, this is how we're going to accomplish that. But I don't really think that's specifically mentioned right. in the movie. Right, right. People who do Star Trek will say, oh, well, the Prime Directive is, you know, the Federation. Yeah, that's what it is. But right. it's not really addressed specifically in the, in the movie. So it's, it's hard to say well, it's the Federation, or it's... Yeah, the Federation is that organization which supposedly has the blanket rules and orders that, uh, that the characters are supposed to go by. But I think Jordan hit on something. I, I, although the Federation is in that position of laying down the law, I don't think they're the highest law. Because it seems to me like a big part of what's going on in that whole movie is that Kirk finds ways around the rules, you know, and uh, yeah. that's kind of always just been a theme of Captain Kirk, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, we have rules and it's convenient and, and it makes for a more orderly society, but, but the big hero, what makes him a hero? He figures out innovative ways around the rules in order to get things done eyes. right and uh and so for me i think i think jordan hit on it it's you follow the rules i think the the way the star trek universe works at least in this movie but i think it's consistent everywhere you follow the rules as far as you can but there comes a time when you just got to do what you think is right in spite of what the rules say and yeah maybe in direct contradiction now part of that I like because part of that because according to the biblical covenant the only one whose rules are absolute is God there's no higher law over God mm -hmm. and so when you and I are parts of an organization that that dispenses its own rules and its own directives or whatever yeah uh, it is good to always keep in mind that those things are not the transcendent law of God and uh, so in our government, they make it 10 million laws every year and all that, but those are not the highest law. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like the fact that there's that element in Star Trek. What I don't like is that it's not the law of God that's over those laws. It's what I personally think is right or wrong. Right. Yeah, and isn't that a, that's really a recipe for chaos. You know, right, and Kirk gets in trouble for that once in a while too, yeah, right. for causing right. all kinds of trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that was another plot thing for me. You know, even though we're in this different universe, Kirk still cheats on the Kobayashi Maru, mm -hmm. and uh, and you really find that then in the next movie too, where even though we're in a different, we're in a retconned 
Star Trek history, there are all these parallel things that things from the last universe still happen in this one. Mm -hmm. This is also why I don't like time travel because <laughs> because if you're going to suggest that whatever the timeline is, no matter how you change it, there there are some things that must happen across those timelines, then it begs the question, who's deciding what so things must things happen, happen. And, and what things change? Mm. Uh, so for me, I think the officially, the official answer they would give is that the highest source of law would be like Starfleet High Command or something like that. Mm. But practically speaking, that's not the source of law. And, uh, and the whole thing that makes Kirk a hero is that he figures out ways around those manipulates it as he will. Mm. Now, the other, the next point of the covenant is what we call hierarchy. And, and the question that's being asked is, uh, who represents God? Who represents the transcendent one here and now on the earth? And so, in the Bible, that would be prophets, priests, and kings. Mm. Uh, and in the new covenant, it's the people of Christ and, and all of that. So, my question is, we've talked about what's transcendent. Who, who in this movie basically represents that system? Who's the best representative of that transcendence? And uh, that's kind of a difficult question to ask, but I think the character that stands out to me as representing that the most was a more minor character. I think it was Christopher Pike. Mm, yeah. Captain Pike, because he recruits he recruits Jim Kirk to be a, in Starfleet, and Pike seems to be this by the rules kind of guy, mm -hmm. and he represents all the order and and lawmaking and law keeping of the Federation. Right. But he's got this other side to him <laughs> that he even says it in his first conversation with Kirk. He says. Uh, we need somebody that's kind of more of a cowboy and more able to get stuff done. Right. We're too much into the rules and stuff like that. And, and so for me, that whole concept that we just talked about, whose law is on top, I think Pike really represents both sides of that, the official story and then the actual story. Right. And uh, I don't know, do y'all have any other ideas? I think Kirk is maybe a... Kirk and Spock together yeah, might form that. Yeah, as like that. a duo. Yeah. yeah. With Spock representing the rules and Kirk representing well, yeah. Kirk. <laughs> Himself. Right. Yeah, roundabout way getting right. around the rules. Acting as his own attorney. <laughs> right, right. Alright, yeah. any, any other ideas on that or you think that's all right? There's a sense in which I think old Spock yeah. represents transcendence as well. Because he's he has, above history. And, yeah, yeah. Right. He has knowledge. Prior knowledge. And, yeah. yeah. Of course, all his knowledge is wrong now, though. Yeah. Now he's just making up stories. Now he's just like, <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> all the stuff that never happened. I see. I don't like time travel stuff. So. Okay. So uh, the third point of the covenant is ethics, where we talk about what's right and what's wrong. Jordan kind of already went into this, that uh, there seems to be a blanket uh, pragmatism where we're going to try to 
uh, we're all going to try to do what we think is going to be best for the greater number of people. And uh, and there are there are a lot of secularists who think that way, that that's how you should make your decisions. What's going to benefit the most people, or what's going to do the least amount of harm? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the trick with a true secularist is why. What what makes that rule any better than another rule? Right. You know? uh, if there's no God, then why should I care about helping the most number of people? It doesn't really matter. And I'd agree that kind of is the ethic that's overall. Uh, there's just no basis for it philosophically speaking. Uh, But under ethics, let's talk about if you notice any uh, moral dilemmas, any particular moral crises during the movie that stood out to you. Anything like that in your mind? I thought right at the first, uh, as we're seeing the history of Spock, he gets accepted to the Vulcan Science Academy. Right. And uh, he gets mad at what he considers to be kind of a backhanded swipe at the humanity of his mom mm-hmm. and decides not. So he, makes that, he makes that crisis decision in that moment based on what it had to be. I know he wouldn't admit it, but it had to be insult. He felt insulted. And emotional. Yeah, and, and emotional. And this is interesting to me. I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but there's a... There's a false doctrine that tries to call itself reformed, and this doctrine is called kinism, and it's basically just a Christianized form of uh, race-based discrimination. And one of the things that the kinists will say is that culture and religion are genetic, meaning that if you took somebody who was Italian and he's, let's say he's orphaned as a baby, you take an Italian boy and he's adopted by a Chinese family who take him to China to raise him, that Italian boy is not going to be raised or he's not ever going to fit into Chinese culture because he's Italian. And if you leave him to himself, he's going to grow up and do Italian things. He's not going to do Chinese things. And so they've got this idea that all the races have their culture in them, and and it's inevitable that they will bring this culture out. And and so it's religion, culture, language, all those things are very racially centered in kinism. And so uh, there's some of that in Spock's story, because... uh, I think from what we have in the rest of the Star Trek canon, we understand that the reason the Vulcans are very logical, not because they are born that way. It's a great deal of training that that they have to do right. to, to get there. And in fact, I think the the mythology of it is that if they don't do that training, they're the worst savages that you'll ever run into. You know, right. they're they're the most outrageous and passionate and and emotional and. So their natural state is this barbarian thing that they suppress and become very logical. But as what is Spock constantly being picked on for? Well, you've got this human mom, so you can't really be a true Vulcan because the humanity, the human blood flowing through your veins is going to 
going to necessarily make you something other than Vulcan in, in the way you think and do things and all of that. Right. And I think sometimes it looks like they write that in, that, yeah, Spock struggles more than other Vulcans because he's got some human blood. But that doesn't make sense to me because the Vulcans are constantly fighting against their own blood, you know what I'm saying, in order sure. to be logical. Well, but I, I think it's just like with, with all people, you find somebody who's different and you find a reason to say, well, yeah. you're different. Yeah, right, right. And it doesn't matter that, you know, maybe you're a little different too while you're saying <laughs> that. It's just right. that obviously this one is um, more unique yeah. than the rest of us. And um, I really do think that does happen with kids and in settings that they find somebody who's just maybe a little too different and they yeah. focus on those things and sure um, yeah well so and, that doesn't seem so and could it even be that we're like switching the cause and effect here like if these kids know right from the beginning that spock has this human mom they might just you know they're gonna start in on the oh you're human mom and you're never gonna fit in and then if he internalizes that then that might be what's causing him to have his troubles more than actually having a human mom. Oh yeah, just the fact that he's been picked on. That he's yeah. now in that mindset, well my human head. mom is gonna, it's cause I, it's, I have all these problems because it's my mom's fault. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at it like Spock struggles all the time and they they get after him because he's half human but it could be that like he's half human and they get after him and so now he struggles all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that makes sense. I think that, that probably is a good observation. Any other moral dilemmas that you think of? The one that didn't make sense to me is right at the end where Nero's ship is obviously uh, on the way to being destroyed and mm -hmm. it's exploding a little bit at a time as it gets sucked into the black hole. Mm -hmm. And Kirk offers to do everything he can to try to save him and uh, Spock really doesn't want to. Spock's in favor of just destroying him. But they both had parents that were killed by the same guy, right? Yeah. And uh, it just seems to me the Kirk and Spock I know, uh, wouldn't it be reversed where right. Spock's trying to be logical and see the future benefit of helping the guy now or something like that, where, whereas it would be Kirk hoping to get some kind of revenge or something. But in that moment, it's like Kirk wasn't even thinking about the fact, this is the guy who killed my dad, and it's the reason I grew up with a, with a single mom and horrible boyfriends and stuff like that. So. Well, but the, it could also be just because he didn't know his dad. He didn't know what he lost. Oh. Yeah, but don't you think people that grow up without a dad, or, they're the ones most likely to think that they lost maybe more than they really did or something, you know, to right. idealize the situation. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, so I don't know. Those were the moral dilemmas that got me a little bit. The other thing that, that I thought was a little bit surprising when they find Scotty, he's on the planet, and turns out he's there. The reason he's in this hellish place is because Captain or General Admiral, or Admiral yeah. Archer 
got personally mad at him, and now <laughs> here he is. And you know something about that? I'm not sure I believe that about Archer. Yeah, that doesn't seem like that. an Archer thing to do. It like he'd be that kind of guy. I mean, I can see him be mad, and I know he loved his dog and, and all that. <laughs> well, maybe I just never saw him. Really mad. Really super mad. Well, I don't know. And it's it might be possible that Scotty is also over, you know. Yeah, he might be exaggerating. He might be hyperbolizing his oh. his situation yeah, and how he got true. there. And how long he's been there. And, <laughs> and yeah. Like, it's... I don't know. Or like, I, this thing with the dog was the, the only thing he's the, ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it could have just been the last in a long line of, <laughs> of things that Archer's trying to hold it in. And <laughs> yeah, I guess that's right. Because I feel like in that situation, having only Scotty providing us with the, with the information, that's not a, as reliable a narrator as I'd yeah. like to have, just to that's make right. that judgment about right. Archer. <laughs> Yeah. We like Archer. We Archer's. like Archer. <laughs> yeah. Archer's always been a good guy. Yeah, right. He tries to be reasonable. And you know, I bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any other so, moral things happen? Again, with Spock, um, when his mother died and didn't make it on the transport of him, I think there's another moral issue with him because he definitely knows he's he's in a bad situation and his judgment is kind of right. off, but he doesn't. He doesn't say, this is where I am. Yeah, he doesn't compromise himself. Like, he doesn't, well, he doesn't... Admit. He doesn't, yeah. <coughs> he doesn't present himself as being compromised. Yeah, and really there's only, what, a couple of options. He either doesn't really know that he's that compromised, which there has to be a heck of a lot of pride there, right? Yeah. To just refuse to admit and then, uh, or the other option is that he knows and he just doesn't want to give up. He doesn't want to do the, uh, the right thing according to the rules. Uh, maybe because he thinks it would make it harder for him to get the revenge that he's looking for if he's not the guy calling the shots. I don't shots. know if it's, if it's revenge or I think maybe it's more of a pride thing with, you know, I'm a Vulcan and I can keep this together and emotions don't bother me and, uh, you know, I'm okay. Oh, so to admit that he's hurt would be like an identity crisis sort of thing. Yeah. To admit he's mo emotionally damaged. So. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. he's supposed to be able to suppress right. and handle and... and yeah. Because you look at his dad. And, and he seems fine. Looks. Yeah. But you know, that's really hard, I think, as, as people, because we do like to look at other people and say, oh, well, look they're okay, or this doesn't bother them, or, you know, however you look at them, but really only God sees what's going on right. on the inside. So the, the image that we have on the outside is, is often a facade that, you know, only God sees through those things. <laughs> right, right. And it's interesting that the character that portrays that sort of thing is Spock in this iteration of Star Trek. That's interesting. Any other moral dilemmas or moral crises that you can think of? Of course, what's the what's the biblical solution when you know that uh, somebody's done you wrong? Well, there you should gotta take them out. Yeah, <laughs> eye for an eye. <laughs> right. Well, there needs to be 
in, in there needs to be ethical and, and judicial recourse. Judicially, there needs to be. Uh, it wouldn't be right if Nero got away with causing all this death and destruction. You know, he does need to answer in this world for those crimes, and it wouldn't wouldn't be right if he didn't. And uh, but in terms of personal ethics, uh, it's wrong, of course, wrong for them to really pursue Nero with a with a vengeance mentality or something like that. Right. Well, that's what yeah. puts us in this whole thing to begin with, is that Nero had that attitude towards Spock, that right. you didn't save my planet, you didn't save my wife and my child, and so now it's up to me to make sure that you pay for the pain that yeah. you caused me and the, and the deaths that resulted because you didn't act quick enough. Sure. So Nero is kind of set himself up as a judge to well, dispense yeah. punishments. Most definitely yeah. he does. Punish failure and all mm -hmm. that. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, the fourth part of the biblical covenant is sanctions or uh, oaths. But under sanctions, what we're talking about is how does God deal with violations of his ethics uh, when we're in the covenant when we're in the covenant, how does God deal with that in terms of uh, rewarding it or or uh, punishing? And so under the covenant, you have like Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 with blessings and curses punished, uh, promised for uh, obedience and disobedience. So what we want to ask under this is, how are people rewarded for their ethical decisions here? And uh, I, I think some of it is pretty obvious, right? Where Nero, Nero gets the death that he deserves at the yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I just think of McCoy getting Kirk on the ship <laughs> giving him all those shots and right. he's sick and so now he's in my care so he has to come with me and yeah. you know it's just kind of ridiculous how his ethical <laughs> choices as a doctor yeah. <laughs> get his friend on a ship where he's not supposed to be there but he really was supposed to be there so yeah that's interesting uh Kirk gets rewarded for breaking the rules, right? Yeah, he gets he gets his own ship. He gets his own ship. He and gets it's a, a nice ship. He gets advanced to command mm -hmm. uh, prematurely mm -hmm. when he was going to be in trouble for Kobayashi Maru yeah. and all that. And, uh, and, and which reinforces then the transcendence thing. The real transcendent rule in Star Trek is... If you have to break the rules to do what's right, then you do that. And now we see Kirk being rewarded for that, precisely. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, the other thing I thought was interesting, we see two captains in in the movie who volunteer or they willingly uh, go along with the idea of sacrificing themselves. Uh, there's the captain at the beginning who went over to Nero's ship with instructions left to everybody else, and he's hoping to save them by 
putting himself in harm's way with Nero, and he winds up being killed. Yeah. And then you have Christopher Pike doing the same thing, uh, going over and and. Uh, oh, and then of course Kirk's dad too. Yeah. Yeah, you Kirk's know. dad was self-sacrificing. So I think I'm of the opinion that that the story of Christ and self-sacrifice to save his people, that's that's never going to be out of the world anymore. You know, that's always going to be in our stories and our definitions of what it means to be a hero and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Joel McDermott who pointed out in the first Thor movie, you had Thor, who is supposedly a god, but his father, the, the chief god, isn't going to give Thor his full authority or his full place as a god until he proves himself worthy. And how does he wind up proving himself worthy? By uh, being willing to humble himself and, and sacrifice himself for the people he was trying to save. Mm -hmm. So my point there being, I think you see that in the actions of these captains. And everybody would say, oh, they were good and noble captains, and that's just what a leader should do, is sacrifice himself for his people. Yeah, but where did Yeah, where did we learn that from? That's not an old idea. That's <laughs> right. not like... And where did we learn that? Well, we learned it from Christ, and now here we see it kind of sneaking its way into a Star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Anything else under uh, rewards or sanctions? I don't think so. Yeah, I guess not. Not unless we count Scotty on that uh, on that planet. Oh. His yeah. yeah, Scotty was undergoing his reward. <laughs> and now what happens? Well, they broke some rules and... He's, he's okay now. He, he's back on a starship and yep. doing fine. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, let's see. And then the fifth part of the biblical covenant is succession and the... The question at this point is, what's going to be the future of this covenant? And here's where we want to ask, uh, what does it look like the future is going to be for our characters and, and all of that based on what has transpired in this story? Well, I don't like time travel very much, but <laughs> I think it's obvious that uh, everything's changed the future is going to be completely unpredictable and it's going to be different than what it was before and, and all of that. And mm -hmm. But even in that change, you still have the constant with the relationship between the characters. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. And so uh, it's obvious from the way it leaves it, uh, Kirk and Spock are going to go off on their adventures and we have reason to believe that their story is going to be uh, quite a bit different with elements that are exactly the same and, uh, and uh, so they'll be off flying the universe then. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> old Spock was gonna go and reset. He was gonna help the, the Vulcans. The Vulcan refugees. The remain, yeah, help preserve the culture. Alright, and then all the bad guys are taken care of. Yeah, they're all dead. But, man, the whole planet is gone. Yeah, Vulcan. Yeah. And then, like, are they going to do something about how Romulus is going to eventually... Like, can we take care of that right away, or... <laughs> is it still going to happen? Do we... Well, 
I mean, has has like functions of the universe changed? Because <laughs> I mean, because that, that star was it was just dying and it was going to explode like a dying star does. So like, is that oh, not going to yeah, happen yeah. again? Surely they should take care of that. Like, they could get working on that right now. Yeah, they could. Yeah. They could start not. They could start that up. And then the whole thing would change. There wouldn't be a Nero. Well, not in this, not in this <laughs> universe. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just going to be a regular old psycho minor guy. A regular psycho minor. Who doesn't then kills Kirk's father? Yeah, right? not the. <laughs> but that would be a whole other Kirk if he did. But the because... ship is destroyed now, so they don't have red matter. Oh well, but wherever he got it the first time, they got it from Vulcan. That's gone. Oh boy. Yeah, the future's just a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what do you think about the, the Vulcans, the remaining refugees, going off and resettling on another planet instead of being assimilated or... Yeah, because there's not like a whole planet's worth of them. Not yet. Right, right. There isn't. Uh... You know, because they don't really have any other stuff. They yeah. don't, you know, everything that they... They just have stories. And... Yeah stuff in their head but uh well that's interesting i think for you to make that a project that you're actually going to gather these people over here and, and for the sake of rebuilding their culture you have to assign some kind of great value to your culture whatever it was that was lost you have to say that it's it's worth it to, you know everything we love or care about it's because we're assigning moral value and worth to whatever that is and, mm -hmm. And so it's obvious the the Vulcan way of thinking assigns a great deal of value to the old stories and the old ways and, and right. stuff like that. Which I'm I'm not against that. I think that's all good and right. In fact, there's the one story in the book of Jeremiah where uh, they sit down some uh, basically in my mind they're like Bedouins. They're just uh, sheep herders and tent dwellers, and they try to give them wine, and they won't drink the wine because many, many years ago there was a covenant made that they wouldn't drink wine because their father told them not to. And, uh, yeah. and they were praised in that moment. God commended them for being faithful to that all this time while Israel had an actual covenant with God that they were not faithful to. Yeah, sure. And uh, so there's something... There was some minor thing there that uh, was obviously true that uh, there was something good about remaining faithful and, and all of that to promises that had been previously made. I don't think he was saying that their culture was great, but just that you know faithfulness over generations mm -hmm. is is a good thing as we teach one to to the other. And, and, uh, I guess it would depend on what you're teaching. Right, right. So, final question. Uh, let me ask you to give it a, a letter grade, the movie as a whole. I know Jordan thinks it's an A+. Plus. No, it's not my favorite movie. I don't know why that, I don't know why that started. <laughs> all right. You know what? In spite of the fact that I don't much like time travel and, and all that, and there were some, there were some things that I didn't think made sense, and and all that. I, man, the 
I just think as a as a fun kind of action adventure movie, yeah. and if you grew up loving the the old characters, uh, I, I just thought some of the acting was really really good. Yeah. And even though I wasn't impressed with the story, I understand they were just trying to find a way to reboot the universe and and change everything, and that's what it did. But and the actors were I thought they were excellent and the action the action adventure part was worth the price of a movie ticket so yeah. I'd I'd probably give it a A minus I, I really liked it a lot uh, am I going next? yes you're going next okay well I think I think I'm about I think I'm probably about where you are it's just it's it's a real watchable movie you know like over and over. You can just watch it. It's a good, it's a good okay. solid movie. It's a solid A for me. Okay, yeah. solid A. I'd have to go with a solid. Solid A? Yeah. All right, we all like that movie pretty well. So it's not just Jordan that is the reason it gets watched a lot in our home. Some of that's just the TV station. <laughs> yeah, it's always on, like, what is it that? It's a solid yeah, A. It's a solid A. <laughs> All right. Well, a fight is breaking out here, so we need to <laughs> we need to take off. Let me invite you all to find Worldview Media Podcast at the Reconstructionist Radio homepage. Subscribe to us and leave comments and rate us. That helps. And uh, I think it would be yeah. I think it'd be great if you Ooh, gave suggestions. suggestions. It's easier for us to do movies that are a little bit older because we've got one movie theater in our town. So it's hard for us to keep up with what's cutting edge. But uh, uh, let us know if there's a movie you'd like us to analyze. Anything else? No. All right. Uh, so we just want to encourage you to be faithful to put the Word of God into practice in every area of your life, including storytelling and entertainment and arts and literature and all of that. Even all that, Jesus is Lord over it. All right, so we'll see you next time. Worldview Media Podcast, out. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.